It's a classic rom-com premise. Two lowly executive assistants have lost all hope for personal lives, so they conspire to set up their respective bosses for a romantic relationship. If the bosses hit it off, then the two assistants will finally be free to pursue life beyond the 24-7 work schedule. Set It Up is another Netflix rom-com, and if you're keeping track of how many they made, then good for you. I don't know how many rom-coms Netflix has produced at this point, but in spite of their focus on quantity, this time around they've come up with something quality. The film stars an effervescent Zoe Dutch. You may have seen her around, she's been popping up here and there in indies and Hollywood films alike, but it's in Set It Up that we see what she's really capable of. Filled with the same kind of charisma that Ellen Page brought to Juno, Zoe Dutch also brings a verve that feels reminiscent of Sandra Bullock. The bosses are played by the reliable Lucy Liu and Tay Diggs. Though both of them wind up with cartoonish characterizations, they both get the job done swimmingly. The only disappointment to the film is Glenn Powell as Zoe Dutch's co-conspirator. He may be a competent actor in other films, but here we can only see him trying in every scene. Still, with the deft confidence of lead actress Zoe Dutch as a young woman desperate to pursue her own dreams for once, set it up as a Netflix rom-com that hits the spot. Bosses suck. Huh? Bosses. Bosses do suck. Did you ever see that movie where people tried to kill their bosses because they were bad bosses? I think they were horrible bosses. Horrible bosses. That's the movie. Um, were you surprised that in today's movie there were no bosses killed? I was I was glad that there was no murdering of any bosses. I think that would have gone a little too far. Well, you heard it here first. Ryan Graves on A Gentleman's Guide to Rom-Coms thinks no bosses should be killed. Don't kill your bosses. I'm Kelly McCrillis. I'm also here. And my opinion is... Well, also don't kill your bosses because I don't want to be sued. Good. I'm glad we're in agreement then. But you should set them up. No, you should set it up. It being, I'm not sure what it is, but you got it. Um, Set it up. I think that's something that bosses yell at their secretaries in New York so that they like set up meetings like, yeah, set it up. No, no, no. It's when you set up an Ikea desk. It's like, I bought this from Ikea. Set it up. Ah, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, um, or set up my child science experiment. Set, set it, it up. up. <laughs> See, they only say set it up once in the movie, and that was a that was a big when? downer. Um, when they were actually planning the actual wedding at the end. Spoiler alert. When they're planning the wedding, they say, set it up. Our big wedding in St. John's. Yeah, so maybe not the best title. But a title nonetheless. Yeah, it, you know what? The one thing I can say about this film is it had a title. Mm-hmm. Oh, whoa. okay. So the movie is set it up. Uh, it is a Netflix original rom-com from uh-huh. 2018. Starring? Uh, Zoe Dutch and not Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, but he was a Ryan. Um, he, he was doing his best Ryan Reynolds impression. And the, the kid's not bad. What's his name? I don't care. <laughs> That's not fair, though. His name is Glenn Powell, and he's <laughs> okay. the most forgettable presence. In spite of all the charisma he's forcing through his mouth, it's not... It's, it's not... It doesn't come naturally. Uh, yeah, I, I think my opinion is he's not a bad actor. He's just not right for this part. He's just trying really hard. Yeah. And good for him. Yeah, good for him because there are people not trying as hard in this film. Yeah. Uh, Zoe Dutch, though, not trying. I think she has a natural charismatic uh, personality. I do, too. I 
like partway through the beginning of this movie, I was questioning whether that was true. Like, is Zoe Dutch a good comedic actor? And I just because I, I can't think of something else I've seen her in. Uh, She's in uh, several indie films. OK, but I guess my point is like probably halfway through this movie, I was like, no, she is good. This movie's just not really well directed. Hmm. Interesting. And the dialogue is sometimes funny. Mm-hmm. Like there are laugh out loud moments in this film, but it's so hit or miss. Okay. Why don't you just say up front then what your your overall grade for the film is? Great concept, middling execution. Okay. What letter grade would you give it? Or a star grade? Mm, or uh, out of ten? Or out of five? Out of four? Let's let's go out of four. No, let's go with the letter grade. Okay. Uh, a to Z. <laughs> a to Z. Um, I'm probably give this like somewhere around a J or K. Hey, Froggy, what, what is that letter? This letter over is the letter K. K. <laughs> How about on the um, elementary letter grade? Okay. Um, where like F is fail, mm-hmm. A is uh, pass. I, I think this is like a C plus okay interesting i'm gonna give this movie a b plus really i was very impressed with this film oh okay well hey it's nice uh we've been correcting each other's uh screenplays and arguing about them for the last two days so this is good we're we're already set up to disagree with each other wait we set it up to disagree with each other see it's so many uses uh yeah i wrote in my pithy letterboxd review i wrote for a Netflix rom-com, this is a flat-out winner. Mm. And so, so, so you're setting up a precedent for net- Netflix rom-coms. Like after the last yeah. one we watched, we said we're going to give them all the benefit of the doubt, just because like we don't know the varying degrees of quality. But we're you're establish- expecting them to be bad. We're establishing the curve. And yeah, we are. So this is only our second one. That's really hard to establish a curve on two films. And so it might retroactively be like taken down a peg or brought up a peg. Okay, Be- because I feel like <laughs> so. So your your B plus is like you know if another kid comes in here and knocks it out of the park, then sorry kid, you might yeah. you you might get a lower letter grade and have to talk to your parents. I also think though, in spite of its Netflix nature, I'm asking myself, w- is this the kind of rom com that I would want to come back to over and over again? And I say definitely. Like it's not the same kind of uh, iconic quality as a Sandra Bullock movie. Um, Zoe Dutch. Why? Um, because it's Sandy. There's something. No, so you're saying. That I'm saying Zoe Dutch. Zoe Dutch doesn't bring it to the level that it needs to be. Is great. But it it's it's clear to me why she's a Netflix star and an indie star and not on the level that Sandra Bullock was in the 90s. That was she was the top one of the top female stars. Mm, see, I think for me, it's hard to say that because Zoe Dutch is younger. Yeah. Um, and. I think given the right movie, maybe we or the right team, we might see her shine a little bit more. But this is I think she's probably at the age that Sandra Bullock was in 1995. Like or maybe like while you were sleeping. Yeah, maybe a few years before speed, a few years before. Yeah, this this feels like Zoe Dutch just feels a too like there's a cuteness about her. Like where she feels like Juno grown up. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
I feel like Sandra Bullock, even in the early movies, she just had an aged wisdom about her where even yeah. if she was young, it was like, I can take you seriously as an adult where Zoe Dutch feels like a 22 year old just out of college. Yeah. But in for this movie, that's what we need. No. Yeah. It works for this film. Um, th- that's why I'm saying I feel like she's bringing what she should to this role. But but like with Juno, with Ellen Page, I mean, she kind of earned her a a star status oh, with that sure. one film. Yeah, I'm not I'm not saying this is Oscar worthy work. No, I'm just saying that I I so I mean, you like this movie, though. So the burden of like what makes this movie good is different, I think, for you. It works for those like uh, baseline qualities that I need out of rom-com. Oh, yes, I, I agree, which is why I give it a C plus. Oh, a C plus, though, that's kind of saying you're not quite... You're saying it's average. You're saying it's baseline. But so where do you put To All the Boys Love You For then? That's like a C minus. Okay, so you're saying like that's a subpar movie, To All the Boys. I'm saying it's on the lower half of, yeah, C minus D plus, yeah. lower half of average. Yeah, would you would you revisit this film if you're if you're just throwing on Netflix and you're not really paying attention, but you just need a good way to pass I, I, an hour and 45 minutes. Well, I don't do that very much, but, um, I think if I, if I am sitting down to just watch a movie that I've seen before that mm-hmm. I don't need to pay a lot of attention to, I would choose a different movie than this. Okay. I did enjoy this movie. Like it's something that made me giggle at times, but it also made me go, Oh, come on guys. Okay. Like, to. like, like what, where, where did it, where did it break the experience for you? Um, well, a lot of the interactions like, OK, so this movie, let's let's talk about the story, because that's really going to contextualize how I think some movies succeed in this genre mm-hmm. and some don't as well. Mm-hmm. So let's tell the story. OK, tell me a story, Turk. Let me tell you a story about love, D'Artagnan. I ask you about love. Probably quote me a sonnet. I'm not much more than an interpreter and not very good at telling stories. That's the end. What do you mean? That's the end. That's not. It's the beginning of something interesting. Listen, that's the end of that saga. The end. And I'll start off here. Um, great concept. Okay. You you have these two assistants who work for horrible bosses and they kind of meet up with each other and have an interaction. And then they come up with the idea that if they really want to have their own lives back because their bosses are extremely demanding of their time, then they're going to have to like get their bosses to be set up with each other. It's it's a kooky, zany idea. And I think this movie succeeds most when it is at its most zany. Mm-hmm. And basically, they do set them up. And it almost gets to the point where they these bosses get married. And then you figure out one of those bosses is kind of worse than the other one. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guy... What's Not his Ryan character's Reynolds. name? Not Ryan Reynolds. What's his character's name? It's, his character name is... Charlie? Apparently it's Charlie. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's stuck in my head. Um, so Charlie breaks them up, even though he like, and what's her name? Harper. Harper. Um, fight about it at first because he's like, no, this needs to keep happening. Even though they find out that, uh, the guy is cheating on Lucy Liu. Mm-hmm. Tay Diggs. Yeah. And now his boyfriend will comfort him. Don't listen to her brown bear. Your body's fierce. Is it like Tay Diggs? Tay Diggs. Which I've never seen, like I've seen Tay Diggs be a villain before, but man, this was arch. Um, (laughs) The, and anyway, then they get together at the end because uh, even though they have 
seemingly not very much in common as two people at all. Um, the this movie says that you should love somebody despite uh, the things that you don't enjoy about them. Uh, you thought that was the takeaway from the movie? I, I think I think the movie says a really interesting. It says a thing I might not fully agree with very sweetly, and so I almost agreed with it. Where there's this line that Zoe Dutch or that Zoe Dutch's friend says about like advice her grandma gave her, which is basically. When I was little, my my uh, my grandmother, she used to say, "You like because, and you love despite. You like someone because of all of their qualities, and you love someone despite some of their qualities." Mikey, <laughs> I like you almost as much as I love you, and I can't wait to marry you. <laughs> you like somebody because of who they are you love somebody despite some of those qualities Mm -hmm. that you don't enjoy and i think that's a true thing but i and and i i can see why they fell in love in kind of a superficial sense are they gonna get married i don't think so (laughs) well uh, i think that's why my golden standard for pretty good rom-coms is while you were sleeping and two weeks notice is in like the tier above that where it's just bangers throughout and while you're sleeping is just kind of like so she falls in love with this guy she's kind of stalking him she gets into this weird conundrum where she has to like keep up this lie but then mm-hmm. she falls in love with bill pullman and it's like yeah it, but the execution of that movie is what makes it a awesome film yeah like because even though even though not a lot of it necessarily makes sense on the surface, mm-hmm. the execution pulls it off. Yeah, like on paper, it doesn't really track. Whereas this movie, on paper, is like a genius plot. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm taking the idea of The Devil Wears Prada and mm-hmm. I'm combining it with like a kids hook up their two parents plot from yeah. the 90s. And that that in and of itself, on paper, fantastic idea. Yeah, but when I think about, like, why should Sandra Bullock be with Bill Pullman, I don't have an ideological reason why. They just have chemistry. Right. And that's the only reason. And I thought in this movie, the chemistry, for me, was excellent. I really loved their chemistry. I I actually did like their chemistry as well. I really did. Like, uh, as much as you don't seem to enjoy Charlie. um, Well, he just, (laughs) don't you think he's kind of a douchebag? Just a little bit. No, I do. Yeah. I don't even think a little bit. I think he's kind of a douche, but he does have an arc in this film. Yeah. And so he gets better. Yeah. It It feels like you think the actor is a douche. (laughs) Well, I don't know. It's it's like. I immediately fell in love with Zoe Dutch. I'm like, you're awesome. Anyone would be lucky to be with you. Mm -hmm. But it's one of those things where it's like, tell me again why we think Zoe Dutch should be with him. Yeah, you're right. It, it, It doesn't really matter. At the end, just the same way as like if if you can suspend your disbelief on why they're together at the end of the movie and you also thought the movie was well done, you're probably like, this is while you were sleeping category. Mm -hmm. However, since I didn't think the movie was very well done or thought out, it just didn't it just didn't reach that echelon for me. Mm -hmm. And it's stuff like this. Zoe Dutch is very poor. So she says. Right. It's another one of those characters who she's like, I can't afford to do X. I don't think she's desperately poor. No, no. I At, at first, um, she is like, 
I can't afford to like even do this. She has that line. I'll find it. Okay. Um, and then on top of that, the next thing we see is like her apartment. And it's like, this is a nice place. And on top of that, she like, when she's bored, she buys like $300 worth of Yankee paraphernalia when she's just bored waiting for like her boyfriend or not her boyfriend, but like when they're, they're pulling a prank on their people and she's just waiting. And like, it's stuff like this where, and then she's going to like all these parties on rooftops and it just feels like she's not living how it's presupposed that we're expected her to live. Well, no, she's, she's friends poor. She's David Schwimmer poor, or no, she's Matt LeBlanc as Joey poor. Like, yeah, you're poor, but you have this nice existence in New York city and like you live in Greenwich village. And yeah, but Matt LeBlanc has a grandfathered in apartment that is, uh, that Chandler is paying for. Well, so yeah. he is poor. <laughs> you have to have that like suspension That's, of disbelief. Yeah. Again, and I don't think the conundrum for her in this movie is that she's poor. I think she doesn't have any free time. Yeah, because exactly. she's always That's, working. I mean, that's the problem for both of them through this movie is that we have a couple of characters who have no free time. One of them would perhaps use that free time to write in order to get the job that she really wants at the place she works. Mm-hmm. And the other guy would spend more time with his model girlfriend who sucks. Yeah. In order to have an actual relationship with her, I guess, or to keep her. But then as soon as he has enough time to do that, he realizes that she sucks. Which is a good realization that he needed to have. Yeah. And it's a good arc for him. And her arc is, is, is kind of non-existent until her friend does that thing where she's like, you have to write. And other, other than that, she doesn't really have an arc. No, it's at the beginning where she has that idea about the para, not the para, but the octogenarian Olympics. She has this she idea. She wants to ride it, but uh-huh. it's it's something that she's never brought herself to do. What I'm what I what I'm saying though is it's like it's not like she's working towards that. It's that she's like hiding the whole film and then it takes her friend like saying something that she could have said this entire time where it's just like you just need to sit down and write a bad thing. Right. Um and but the, the, that's the whole reason why we have this plot is that she is she's saying she's like she says this in the midpoint of the movie. She's saying, I'm so busy that when I do have free time, I think about writing. But every time I have an idea, it's too bad that or she's too tired. Yeah, that yeah. I can't bring myself to write it. And I totally get that. I get that, too. Like you and I both worked like, well, maybe me a little bit more so like pretty intense server jobs yeah. when we were also trying to work in the film industry. Yeah. And sometimes you get home at like four in the morning after having worked a 12 to 14 hour shift and you're like, Oh, I work at three the next day. I'm going to wake up at noon yeah. and I have three hours to like basically wake up and write. Yeah. It's so like, I, I think that's why she's more active in making this, um, parent trap thing happen. She yeah. she's taking more of the lead and he's more of a conspirator with her. And, and she's more of a go-getter. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that is her arc is that she is doing this so that she may write. And what we see at the end is her doing it and having to write that shitty draft, which is just like Which she me, wouldn't have done the, without her friend. Uh I I just I Yeah, she needed that one kick in the pants, but it wasn't out of nowhere. Is she that's been in her head that I just need to write my she knew that. She knew that she just Yeah, but had she to write couldn't do it without that friend. Yeah. Is what the movie's saying. And and I like that friend. That friend character is super good, played by Meredith Hagner. <laughs> who I haven't seen anything else, but she was good in this movie. Yeah. And it's I don't know. There was there's something about this movie where 
like they would joke and half the time I'd be like, that wasn't funny. Or like there was like this thing where Lucy Liu, uh, uh, Harper's boss is super intimidating. Mm -hmm. And so whenever Harper tries to like speak out loud and give an idea, she just talking like this. And it's, it just like that. It just ended up not being funny because I was like, I can't understand what you're saying right now, but you're like leaning halfway into a joke. But there were other times like the line ice. Like, I mean, there were just <laughs> there were really funny. There were really funny lines in this movie and really fun pull it offs. But it, to, to me, it was just OK. And that was because like this movie didn't lean into the zaniness and it didn't lean into like the sweetness. It was just like in this weird middle ground for me that's not what i experienced what i experienced was a real crackling energy thanks to zoe dutch and it's it maybe that it's not as funny as like a sandra bullock film or a hugh grant film maybe there's not as much like well well thought out humor where you're thinking oh what witticism i'm experiencing mm-hmm. but there's just kind of a vibe and energy and it's like, maybe I'm not laughing along with this, but I'm in a good mood because of it. And okay. that's like, yeah, so good humor, but not ha ha funny. Comedy. It's like going on a date with someone and coming home and your roommate's like, hey, how was your date? And you're like, it was nice. They were nice. Mm-hmm. That's not what I go to the movies for. No, I know. And that's why I'm not I'm not saying it's the best, but I'm just kind of like, eh, it gets the job done. See, a B plus for me, if I'm giving a movie a B plus, it's a movie that like While You Were Sleeping, where I'm like, look, this isn't a plus quality movie. It's not even an A quality movie, but man, does it get the job done? Yeah, I, I'd say in my laugh-a-meter, uh, I, I think the laugh-a-meter in uh, While You Were Sleeping is equal to the laugh-a-meter in this film. Okay. So, well, like, let's talk about the bosses a little bit. You got Tay Diggs. Tay Diggs. Who's this investment broker, baker, business. He does business. Business, business, business. Well, is he a banker? He's he's an he's a, a venture bro- capitalist. Wait, a broker, a banker, a candlestick maker? No. <laughs> he's a venture capitalist. That's it. Yep. VC. They say VC a couple times. Right, right, right. Um, because it's the douchiest thing you can say. Yeah. Um, and he sucks as a human being. Mm-hmm. Like for the most part, he's um, he's mean to his assistant and like not just normally mean like. And this is this is where I want to compare to Devil Wears Prada. Right. You Definitely. have which is a better movie. Yeah, um, for sure. And you would you have Meryl Streep there who is a mean boss. Right. But she has intent behind that meanness it's to basically stay on top and to let everybody know she's still in charge however that blue represents millions of dollars and countless jobs and it's sort of comical how you think that you've made a choice that exempts you from the fashion industry when in fact you're wearing a sweater that was selected for you by the people in this room from a pile of stuff and that's how it seems like she has curated her life is by being this person who has strong opinions and those opinions are right no matter what yeah the devil wears prada definitely is a more real world compared to the world and set it up sure set it up as a more these bosses are so cartoonishly mean yeah they are that's definitely i think that's by design and it's just kind of like you can you're either into it or you're not yeah and i wasn't into it because like 
Oren Ishii is another character from Lucy Liu, who is an intimidating boss, right? Mm -hmm. And the kind of gravitas and scariness she brings to that role is kind of what I wanted to see here. And I didn't realize that until I started watching Lucy Liu just basically be super mean in the beginning. And I like her character more towards the end. She's, yeah. She feels like she has depth. Yeah. Um, but sh she and Tay Diggs were both so cartoonish that when they were like when this movie tried to humanize them, I was like, these don't seem like the same people. Well, Lucy Liu was frigid, right? She was cold and frigid. And I don't I don't want to just call her frigid. That seems like a very like only free female way to describe somebody. OK, I'm sorry. She's chilly. She her she's icy. She's frozen. <laughs> what more I think, adjectives do you need? <laughs> well, I guess uh, the word I would like I kept thinking of with her was she she has all of her walls up yeah like she is she is the furthest thing from vulnerable yeah and i think where she lands in the end is just starting to open up yeah which is cool i liked her like like at one point in time um zoe dutch like goes into her office and um i think this is after she quits or yeah something I don't know, but they, they have a heart to heart where Lucy Liu is like, hey, you know what? I, I know I've been super hard on you, but I'm only doing this so that you'll survive in the industry. Yeah. Like, because it's a hard industry, which I still think is a shitty thing to do as a boss, but it does humanize her a little bit. Yeah. Um, but Tay Diggs is like, he, he doesn't, he has his assistant do his like kid science project. He destroys his office like don't marry that guy he's gonna hurt you when he gets mad <laughs> yeah and and it's zany but it's it's taken it to a point where he's not fun like there's nothing about hanging out with tay Diggs that seems fun he's just like like a a huge tool douchebag well i still thought it was rather hilarious when he was trying to break his own window and he's like what's wrong with this is yeah. it bulletproof yeah, I, I, I thought that see, was hilarious. I thought that was funny, too. And that's what I'm saying is like probably a quarter of the time I was like, now, where? why isn't the rest of the movie written like this? Yeah, it's, it, I think it's more in the suspension of disbelief that's more akin to 30 Rock, where it takes like 30 Rock goes into some like weird liberties, creative liberties, where it's like, OK, this is not in a real world. I don't really think it's fair for me to be in a jury because I can read thoughts. Dismissed. Right. But this movie is in the real world. Yeah, it it's it's skidding on like the edge. Right. I, I just I wanted it to either take the plunge or not. And it felt like it it decided not to. Well, I'm glad that it didn't go because if you if you bring it back and uh -huh. you make it more real, then you're in definitive Devil Wears Prada land. Yeah, but you can still have most of the fun scenes in in the movie, like them at the baseball stadium trying to set them up for a kiss or them climbing the fire escape and eating pizza. Also, Zo Zoe Dutch is one of the best drunk actors I've ever seen. Yeah. That is not an easy thing to pull off, and she kills it. Yeah. She absolutely, like, if there's any award for best drunk acting, she well, should win for that year. This is the best meal I've ever had in my entire life. For that year. But the Grand Master Chi is, is uh, with Nell and I. We want the finest wines available to humanity. 
We want them here and we want them now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's 1987, though. So, yeah, yeah. So that year, sure, she, she'll get it. Um, but do you, do you see what I mean? If, if you made it more real, then Lucy Liu would just feel like she's doing Meryl Streep? No, I mean, you could just have her be her own person. Especially when there's two bosses, I feel like, because then you get like a this version and a this version of a boss. Yeah, I, I liked her, though, as as comically icy, whereas Meryl Streep is quietly devastating. And Lucy Liu never gets into that territory. She's just kind of comically devastating. And it doesn't have the same kind of like gut wrenchingness you feel in Devil Wears Prada. It's more just like, eh. When Lucy, when Lucy Liu, like, you never think that Meryl Streep is going to harm you physically. You mm-hmm. just think that she's going to say something that's going to make you stay awake at night for the next five years and think bad things about yourself. And yeah. Lucy Liu, though, she has, like, this great sidelong look that she uses in, like, all, in a lot of films where she just, like, kind of slowly turns and looks at you where I'm like, oh, shoot, don't hurt me. And I I felt that a couple times in this movie. And I, I would have been fine with like if if you're worried about her being like Meryl Streep, mm-hmm. like just leaning more into that side of the zaniness where it's like like she you know how like Tay Diggs, they have him like smash things in his office. Yeah. Like give her a little bit of that kind of danger. Yeah, it's fine. Like I, I don't want to say like her, Tay Diggs or her did a bad job because they didn't. I just think that they. They were written so different than their, like, it's like those two lived in a different world than their assistants did. Well, Zoe Dutch, though, I I think her persona is so cackling, though. It also feels very uh, filmic. Like, Zoe Dutch wouldn't belong in Devil Wears Prada. She would be too animated for that movie. Yeah, she is. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. And so, therefore she still fits within the realms of this movie. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that you either fit in Devil's Wear Prada or you're too zany and thus you're in this movie. I'm saying there's degrees. So you wanted more from Zoe Dutch? No, I wanted less from the bosses. Oh, okay. Is, is what I'm so saying. you're saying baseline is Zoe Dutch. Like get on her level and yeah. then this, there would be more balance to it. Yeah, and that's, again, not from the actors. The actors are all doing their jobs. I'm saying the movie couldn't decide. What about... Titus. Huh? Let's talk about Titus Burgess, because he's another zany character that I found hilarious. Yeah. And um, strangely, I they, usually get bothered by those kind of cameos. Me too. But he just like was in this movie for just such a short time. And he was so funny. Yeah. And I feel like there's other movies where they do these cameos because it's like, we don't know how to write comedy. So we're just going to bring you in and just let you improv and hopefully you'll improve the humor. Right. The but it felt like he was reading from the script. It felt like it was actually thought through. Uh huh. And there's, there's something about that character that goes along with the zaniness of what the two, like this, this parent trap type deal um, that these kids are trying to pull off where Zoe Dutch and Charlie, <laughs> Harper and Charlie go down to um, what's Titus's name? It's like weird or scary, (laughs) scary Tim. Creepy Tim. Creepy Tim. Uh, Creepy Tim. Like the fact that they call him that and set it up. Means that this character is odd. They set it up. (laughs) See, you use it all the time. Um, And thus he's set up to be this way. And we can walk into this and expect this is going to be a zany person. And we buy it right right away. Right. But where, whereas like when, 
the the bad mo- not bad but she's just a basic model girlfriend who's not very nice mm-hmm. um is herself she exists on the same level as Zoe Dutch and Charlie yeah but these bosses just seem so out there to me <laughs> well that's why i kind of enjoy it for its baseline pleasures is that because they're so cartoonish it's the same like when you go into a Pixar or a Miyazaki, you're really engaged to this animated film, mm-hmm. right? That you're 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 as invested in it as you would be a movie like E.T. or something where it's like, no, this is real art. This is real storytelling. But when you go into a Looney Tunes, there's not much there. There's not much as thoughtfulness behind it, but you get to turn your brain off and you get to enjoy what you're looking at on the screen. Mm -hmm. So I don't think this movie has a chance at getting to work with you on a deeper level. And I actually like that about this movie is Mm -hmm. that it's not trying too hard. And so I actually prefer it in that kind of animated level that I really just wanted to turn my brain off for this film. And all I'm saying is... I wish I could have, but it felt like the movie kept begging me to think about it a little harder. In what way? In, I, I mean, I don't know. Like it, it, it would go from super zany to be like, oh, this is normal. And we're at a party and we're just like hanging out and having a conversation and talking about this. And, oh, we're going to go to my friend's, you know, wedding and or rehearsal dinner. And she's going to say something really sweet. And then we're going to have like fun conversation. And then we're going to go almost have a date. And it, I was like, oh, I'm in a normal rom-com right now. Like everything about this feels like a normal rom-com. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden be like, time for zany. And so I I was feeling a little bit of whiplash because uh, part of what I wrote down was, man, I love the zany parts. I wish there were more of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like in Four Weddings and a Funeral that you have a lot of humor in that movie where Hugh Grant gets into these circumstances that almost break it, you know, like he's in this. He's oh, the ac- bedroom scene. He's accidentally yeah. in the bedroom and they're having sex and. It's just, it's so funny, but like, again, if you stop for 10 seconds to think about it, it's like, this is absurd. This is such an absurd Yeah, setup. but you can see how you'd get into that sitch. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I see what you mean that I think if you gave this to the top 1% of our filmmakers, if you gave it to Nora or to Richard Curtis or to Roger Michelle, to some of these like grandmasters, that they would have been able to like finesse it much better and get that balance right. And I think that this... I, I want to see the writer from this movie. I want to see their next project. Yeah. Because I think their concept was solid. I thought a lot of their jokes were really good. And I thought their setup and payoff was worthwhile. That's why I think I, I do have to have that asterisk of for a Netflix movie. Yeah, yeah. And maybe I just keep coming to these Netflix movies and saying, you have every chance to impress me and you have every chance to... Um, make me disappointed in you child for me i'm finding that netflix has two categories prestige and made for tv what is this though because it feels like it's trying to be both it, I, it's in the made for tv but <laughs> it's at the top of the pile okay because like let's look at all the other elements in this movie i feel like pacing wise 
it's cracking like a whip. It's moving. There's nothing yeah. slowing it down. It it's, felt like it was TV like a, that. Like I wanted re- this to be a five part. I don't know. Maybe a, a 10 episode TV series. Oh, really? I like that. It's a, a zippy hour and 45 minute movie that mm-hmm. it moves and it never feels sluggish. And I never needed to check my phone. I never got like bored. I never thought, is it over yet? Like it, it, it's got a really good energy to it. I thought, you know, it, again, the chemistry it has a really good pace. Yeah. The chemistry between our main characters is really good and that's keeping my attention and I'm really interested in what they're saying. I thought their dialogue wasn't staid and boring. I thought their dialogue was interesting. Again, yeah, it could have been funnier, like haha funnier, but I was invested in, you know, each scene and I, I was entertained throughout the whole whole thing. Now, if you go to Twelve the Boys I Love Before, that's a sluggish movie. It's slow. It's boring. It's not as interesting. It's there's, not funny. There's not like there's not this energy the way that set it up has. And I'm just kind of sitting there with this limp film. OK, you're giving you're convincing me this is a B minus now. Oh, OK. I'm raising okay, it to a okay. B minus. But I think I, I agree with you in the sense of it's regrettable that it has that Netflix aspect to it that if it got more, if it was taken more seriously as a theatrical product that it had to do much better than it does, then maybe the people involved could have given it the more tweaks that it deserved. And I feel like, I feel like as much as there is good to Netflix, that is the, there is this bar that keeps getting lowered. And like, is this, this movie was only made for $10 million. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, which a lot of movies, there aren't a lot of movies that get made for $10 million these days. Yeah. And I was, when I saw that, I was like, oh, I'm happy about this. But like, it does feel like there was this bar that the writing and the acting was trying to achieve that the direction just wasn't Mm. where they're like, I'm walking into this room and I'm going to make this and Hey, sorry, director. I hate being a douche. (laughs) Um, but it, it just felt like. Like they're like, we're going to go to work and we're going to accomplish this and we're all going to get paid for it. And a lot of people are going to see it and like it. But they weren't trying to make something. Right. So I looked up the director's experience and she's done a bunch of television. Yeah. And it like like I was saying, it it kind of felt like television. And it definitely shows. But I think if you're doing the Netflix like budget where they probably didn't have a lot of time to mm-hmm. shoot they probably had more time than to all the boys of before i mean you got to think that like lucy Liu and tay diggs are getting paid a lot in this movie yeah but it's it's 10 million dollars not 30 million dollars uh-huh. like if you took they don't make well there's no cor- correlation yeah because they, they have to make- go back to the 90s to really <laughs> find a movie made for this much money and so maybe maybe this is a good thing like because i liked this movie yeah and i I want to see more movies made with this kind of budget. Um, I just want that like filmmaker who is like out to prove themselves. Yeah. I think with Notting Hill, I think they took the time to get it right and did a well produced film. This, I don't think they had that. They also had a huge budget for that movie. It was like $50 million. Yeah. And that's, there are so many built in safeguards where it's like, okay, well we have the number one movie star in America in the world. We have Julia Roberts. So here, have as much money as you want. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta get, you have to be able to pay her. (laughs) Yeah. And you've, we've got to make this like, we've got to make the, the math make sense where we're not going to make a shitty movie 
unless it's Valentine's Day. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but then she's only there for three days. Exactly. In 1999, she's the she's the co-star with Hugh Grant. You've got to get it right. Whereas there's not that pressure on this movie. I know. And I kind of like there's part of me that really wished that pressure existed for artists because most like like pressure is going to push the carbon like into this like it's it's going to create steel mm-hmm. if the pressure is there and it's going to get rid of all of the extra stuff that that sword does not need like i don't know anything about sword making so i'm just talking completely out of my ass right now but like that kind of pressure makes for good filmmakers yeah so as and not to say that there aren't like horrible sets where like pressure makes it a bad environment but <laughs> as far as i'm concerned in a certain sense, by design, this is the best it'll be because of its mode of production. It's mode of production and, yeah, it's budget. And I'm actually glad they got a really experienced TV director as opposed to an aspiring auteur because I feel like the aspiring auteur would have their hands tied the whole time, that they'd want to do all these interesting things. It's like, dude, we got to move on. We don't have time for this. Yeah, I mean, and that's a, probably true. And a television director is like, all right, let's go. And like they're moving because... TV directors have to shoot so much. Mm-hmm. I still don't understand how you can shoot a 45 minute episode in 10 days. It's I crazy to it. me. I've worked on one television series like for the entire season and it was, and that wasn't even like a scripted, it was like reality. And like even just getting the amount we did in a month, I was just like, this pace is grueling. Yeah. And yeah. So my um, my guess is they had like 30 plus days to shoot this and they probably had three months to shoot Notting Hill. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. I want to talk about the, the elevator scene. Yeah. So, so basically uh, at this point in the movie, it's their first attempt to get their bosses together and they trap, they do the classic trap them in the elevator scene. That's where they meet creepy Tim, who is like kind of the janitor or uh, he, he, he he knows all the inner workings of this building mm-hmm. and he is able to trap them inside the elevator and they trap him inside with this delivery guy, right? Who is, uh, who he ends up having, like he's kind of claustrophobic and he has to pee as, and yeah, take off he, his clothes. He has a mental breakdown because of his claustrophobia. Right. Well, who's this guy? You need to go, sir. It's go time. Oh my God. This is how it always starts in my nightmare. Uh, what are you doing? What is he doing? Stop doing that, please. Stop, stop that right now. I need to stop be that. free of this. There's, uh, there's lines in this movie that don't make sense to me. And that's the, they're like little moments like that where I'm like, you guys could have done better, but it felt like you were moving along and not thinking about it where they have this, guy and he's he's a heavier set gentleman yeah um and he's a delivery guy and they she gets into a conversation with lucy Liu where he's like oh i always take the stairs i'm just taking the elevator because i'm pretty rushed these days yeah it's like that doesn't make sense i'm here to tell you that that man would be in really good shape if he's always taking the stores in new york uh, like to make deliveries yeah like and so it just is little things like that where i'm just like did you guys not think about like how this could make sense what were we watching where we were talking about the comedy and it didn't always land, but at least they were trying? What were, what was that? I think that was Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> oh, 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 it was Booty Call, right? That we were talking about the jokes in Booty Call that, you know, like stuff with the dog licking the butt and like all these things mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, maybe you're not always hitting it, but at least you're trying. Oh, they were always trying to hit it in that movie. 
<laughs> they were trying to set it up. <laughs> Stupid. Um, <laughs> the elevator scene, it's like you're trying so hard. I'm almost just going to applaud A for effort. I, did you watch this movie with Sarah? No. Okay. Robin, when she was watching that scene, she was like, why did you have to show the pee? <laughs> Because like he's he's peeing into these cups that he was delivering somewhere. And it's just like, man, y- what you did is say, what like, how do you construct that joke in the room? You're like, oh, what if he had to pee? Oh, I know he'll be delivering votives. Yeah, this like, is very like clearly. It's, fourth, it's a mushed together joke. It's a fourth draft joke where yeah. at first he just got naked. And then then they like took another pass and they're like, ah, oh, this elevator scene still isn't hitting. So it's like, let's have him like do something ridiculous like pee in a cup or something i feel like it would have been hilarious if he got naked and then like (laughs) you had like some other people like a whole group of like people run into the elevator for some reason like there was like what if (laughs) what if um titus burgess creepy tim starts like accidentally hits like the wrong button and it um it like pulls a fire alarm and like a whole bunch of people in a hallway are trying to get out of the fire alarm into the elevator mm-hmm. and they just like squish this like they get in the elevator before they realize there's a giant naked guy in there and they squish <laughs> him like against the two people in the back yeah something i mean, it just it just felt like like somebody wrote the script and they're like let's get it in production yeah this movie or that like scene that scene it's the kind of scene that would have worked better if you had a writer's room in a television show where they could have workshopped it to make it work. Cause like take, take an episode of friends, the couch episode of friends where they're trying to move the couch. Pivot. Here we go. Pivot. 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 Shut up. Shut up. And the like the capper to that episode is that someone pulls a fire alarm and everyone has to climb over the couch and they destroy and they destroy the couch. Mm -hmm. And that's the topper. And that doesn't break the like logic to the show. Right. We don't think this is an absurd moment. We Mm -hmm. just think it's funny and it makes sense. Uh, So this is kind of like if they only had time to take five writers in a room and it's like, Figure out the scene, like keep the character, but figure out how it can be funny without being so illogically absurd. Yeah. And like, think about the difference between that joke and like when the guys are like the other investment broker venture capitalists that are working in the building are making fun of Charlie for like getting his boss smoothies. And he's like, it's juice. He's on a cleanse. And it's like. That's that's a funny joke. Yeah. Um, But it is completely different kind of humor. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that's comedy, comedian, funny people. Yeah, I know what they are. The people who make the funny. Uh There's this weird rule. They're the ha ha people. (laughs) There's this weird rule. And I think it's because of improv of like, just throw everything at the wall. See what you get. (gasps) Okay. I know what's going on here. Okay. So. Let's take a movie like Tootsie, right? Uh-huh. Where you have a Bill Murray and a Dustin Hoffman acting off each other. Yeah. Right. The, one is a comedian, one's a serious actor, but they both really take what they do very seriously. Mm-hmm. Right. Like they are, they are height of their game actors at this point in time. Yeah. 
Now, this movie seems like you took a whole bunch of people with varying levels of experience and varying levels of comedic um, instinct and said, I'm going to put you all into one movie. Sometimes that works. And sometimes it it just means that it's a hodgepodge. Yeah. Which some it 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 just doesn't make for a cohesive comedy. I think that's most true with our stars is that I'm glad that they're Zoe Dutch, but like this I'm sorry, I keep forgetting his name, fake Ryan Reynolds almost just tanks the movie for me because I'm just like, you're clearly like imitation great. Like, you know what it's like? I was thinking about this. His Yeah, but doesn't that make him almost perfect to play that role? Why? Because he's he's basically pretending to be somebody he's not the whole time, which we only get through a, a, a costume change at the end. But he's trying to be this assistant for somebody he doesn't care about in order to get a job that he doesn't care about. That is interesting, but I don't think he's that good of an actor. I would have rather seen Ryan Reynolds in this role, but unfortunately, he's too old. Yeah. Yeah. But Ryan and Re- Ryan Reynolds in 2004. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I think that's what's holding this movie back more so than the overly animated bosses. I think what's holding the movie back from me giving it an A is that this guy is just not doing it for me. Zoe Dutch, I can't think of anyone. I think she's actually perfect for the role. I thought she nailed it, and I thought she like hit it out of the park. But again, is it a star-making role? Not necessarily. But that's okay because it gets gets the job done. I don't think he gets the job done. I think he gets the job done in spite of it, that he's working so hard that through his sheer level of effort, it's getting there. And you know what it's like for me? It's like, you know, when you go to your friend's house to play video games. I've done it. And you're going to play N64. Your friend is he's first player. So he gets the manufactured Nintendo controller. Your second player, so you have to play with the imitation off-brand market version of the controller. It, so you're saying this is off-brand comedy? No, I'm saying him. He's, oh. oh, I get you. He's like that N64 controller that isn't made by Nintendo. It works, but it doesn't feel quite right. And you always lose just a little bit because the controls are just slightly not feeling right. See... Yeah, I feel that. I liked Zoe Dutch a lot in this movie, and but there were a couple scenes where I was like, okay. And with him, I felt it was kind of the opposite. I like, there were a lot of times where I was like, I don't necessarily care. Like, you're fine. Yeah. I thought he was fine. Um, but there were a couple scenes where I thought he, he glowed a little bit. And that was like when they were climbing the fire escape or when they were at the, the, the two parties together. Mm-hmm. Gosh, we haven't even talked about his roommate. No, <laughs> Pete Davidson. I, Pete Davidson just comes out of nowhere and shines in this movie. Yeah. All right, well, what do you do if you want to have, like, a intimate, meaningful conversation with somebody? I talk to you. That's not what I'm for. That's what your girlfriend's for. She's supposed to be your best friend. That is ridiculous. You're my best friend. I've never even pooped at her apartment. Well, whose fault is that? Should did that the first date. Market territory. Like, I don't think you could have cast Pete Davidson in that role, but I was like, your your brand of comedy is like killing it right now. Yeah. And I liked when he was interacting with his roommate. Yeah. And or like at the end when he's having dinner and he comes to that realization that his model girlfriend likes pretty much sucks. Yeah. 
like and then he he leaves he leaves her his credit card as like a power move and he's like i don't have money for that yeah <laughs> he just takes it like there were moments where he shined but i think it was kind of a miscast yeah but uh, who do we even have anyone in our rolodex that we would have I, we instead? don't have a star but there are millions of actors who could have played this role yeah whoever the male zoe dutch is no you, you, don't, you, you don't want the Zoe Dutch equivalent. Like not, Ra- not, Ryan Reynolds isn't the male Zoe Dutch. No, but but that's my point is, again, Zoe Dutch is not an A-list star, but she's got it where it counts. And so I don't know who the guy is where they're not an A-list star, but they got it where it counts too. I'm sure, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure they're out there. I mean, I almost like her, her she dates this guy for a half a second. Um, and she... Like he's a he's a nice dude, and I've seen him in other places. Uh-huh. He's like another one of those guys where I'm like, I know you from somewhere. Yeah, uh, this movie was full of those people. Who else was? Because for me, it was Pete Davidson, Titus Burgess. Oh, the oh, Mexican waiter. The waiter. Yeah. Well, he in, wasn't Mexican waiter, but he worked at a Mexican of, restaurant. Yeah. yeah. He's in a bunch of stuff. Yeah, and like those scenes were like fun and fine. Yeah. You know, but like here, I love the costuming in this movie was kind of good. Yeah. Like, I, I know I always, like, want to talk about the costuming, but Zoe Dutch's clothes really fit her personality, kind of yeah. depending on, like, how she was feeling. So, at the beginning, she's wearing, like, this Ellen Page cool outfit where it's, like, you know, popped collar out of a sweater and jeans. And it's just like, yeah, you're an assistant and you're trying hard. Yeah. You're looking cool for, but, like, you're looking magazine cool. Yeah. And then, um, like, working at a magazine cool, not being in a magazine cool. Yeah. And then when she's, like, super depressed, she's wearing this, like, bombastic robe. Yeah. And, like, that's her writer's robe. And it's really funny. And it, like, really fits her personality. Uh And then at the end when she's, like, you know, you know, kind of more fully herself and wanting to be respected, she wears, like, a... A dress that wouldn't. I was like, uh, this, this. You're wearing this dress for a scene where you can kiss a boy at the end, right? <laughs> so I was like, I don't know, that's fine. I wanted more redemption to him, and taking more seriously how much of a bad person the job has made him into, and like that's illustrated with him getting that intern fired. He doesn't get the intern fired though. It's his fault. I mean. No, I mean, it's not his. I don't think that's his fault. He told like the intern, like, don't don't let his like ex-wife talk to him. And literally his intern gets upstairs before he gets upstairs, like two seconds later. I don't know how this all worked. Yeah. But um, that then Tay Diggs is just super mean to him. Yeah. Um, and fires him. But what should have I think if you want to redeem that character and have him save the cat a little bit more often mm-hmm. is like after Tay Diggs walks away, you just grab the intern and say, you're not fired. He won't remember you tomorrow. I and just keeps him there. What I would have done is have him at the end of the movie somehow run into the intern and like do some good deed for him, or see how hap- how much happier the intern is than him. Yeah, or maybe like get some kind of line of you know like Yankees tickets or some kind. But of it didn't awesome even thing. seem like he was mean to the intern. Like he he was a little bit. He like, was a little mean. He was him. abrupt to him, but then he recognizes it. He's like, I'm sorry, that was a step too far. Yeah. And so. So I like, like that. I'm st- like, okay, I kind of like you. Well, yeah, but like, if you want him to be pushed more into being the bad guy, then you have to have him not say stuff like that. I don't need him to be badder. I need him to be more good. <laughs> I need to have by him- the end. 
Right. And so that's like and in the so, first 20 minutes of the movie, though. Yeah. Like in the end, he's like, he quits. He leaves his girlfriend for good reason. It's not like he sacrificed anything. With he that. saves um, Lucy Liu from making a bad, bad mistake. Yeah. But I thought there was like one other element that could have done something to make me like him more. <laughs> I love when he's saving Lucy Liu at the airport and he's yelling up to him and that guy walks over and he's like, go with him. Yeah. He's like, that's not what's <laughs> that's happening not right now. And I feel like the writer understands the minefield that she's in with the screenplay, that there's so many cliche moments that she can rest on and she's, she's aware of them and makes jokes out of them. Yeah. Like, like for instance, he's going to the stop them from getting on the airplane. Yeah. Right. And, he but he's and he's like about to rush over there to stop them but he's like oh i have four hours yeah and then he like dicks around for a little while and then but it seemed really hammy where he like dicks around for a while and then he's like he repeats the line that zoe dutch said earlier in the movie and he's like i dicked around too long oh see for me that was that was the the capper that was like ha ha you connected it to the other thing. I didn't quite connect it. I was like, all right, he's, he's dicking around like Zoe Dutch did. Yeah, but he's not Zoe Dutch. But he's <laughs> influenced by her. And that's the whole point. He's made that, late to things by her? No, like she's like, you got to enjoy life every once in a while. You got to dick around. And he's like, that's stupid. No, I mean, that would be great if he actually, she said that to him. She did. She did. She explained why she got all the Yankees gear. She's like explaining the value of dicking around. Yeah, I guess she she does that, but he, it's not any, anything that he thinks about ever. He's like, that's stupid is what he says to that. Yeah, but then he actually does it. So for me, no, yeah, okay. it, it nails it. It totally nails that. Well, like, when, when the writer listens to she this. She sets it up. She sets it up. Yeah, I hear you. And then. Also, there are so many rooftop parties. Uh, people in New York, let us know if you are a poor assistant or if you're a rich superstar, do you only party on rooftops? Well, they do look the coolest. You're right. Which is another thing about this movie. It's like, let's let's set this up. Let's set it up top on a rooftop. I don't understand. The pool party was thrown by the middle school teachers. That one doesn't make sense. No, the pool party is the model pool party. Oh, oh. And then... Maybe it was to benefit middle school, teachers. middle schoolers. But then like her roommate who lives with her, like throws this huge rooftop party. So she's got to have money. Like it's a it's a catered bartender. If they're living in New York, I guess they just have more money than us. Well, we don't know what her friend is doing. Her friend might be rich. And I guess her friend's boyfriend might be rich. Yeah, this Beyonce. is I think this is. But also like he proposes in the room. <laughs> it's like in the beginning of the movie, uh, Zoe Dutch's roommate is like hanging out with her boyfriend and then he proposes to her in her bedroom in a seemingly very unromantic way. And it's like, like, well, he does listen to Creed, so he's not that original. I guess you're, you're right. Um, but it's just things like that, that makes me feel the movie not trying. Yeah, but I, but I, you're okay with that. That's I know. Fine. And I'm just kind of like, hey, you're grading man. it on a Netflix curve that, I said the next time I'd watch a Netflix movie, I'm still going to grade it the same as all the boys I loved before. Like I'm, I'm grading it on film mm -hmm. as a whole, not this particular network, but now it's turning much more into a, like lifetime has their style. Mm -hmm. 
you can have like a Paramount film, you can have an Amazon film, and you can have a Netflix film. And yeah. I'm grading it on a curve. I'm I'm gonna go into the movie with low expectations. Yeah, I because went in with I maybe it's I went in with such low expectations that I was expecting a film of the exact same quality as To All the Boys Love Before, mm-hmm. and was delightfully surprised that it wasn't. I was expecting this to be a like a maybe a little bit better. Yeah, um, and it was just a little bit more than a little bit better, <laughs> in my opinion. I, I it was here's the thing: if I had to go back and watch any of these movies five times in a row uh-huh. between all the boys I loved before and this film, I would so much rather watch this one. Yeah. Cause there's, there's more fun to be had in this film. Yeah. And I think it's that it's on this platform being Netflix. It's kind of like, we're not expecting you to pay that much attention. <laughs> no, it's so depressing when you say stuff like that, but it's true, isn't it? If yeah. Really... I mean, I'm not saying it's untrue. It's just depressing when you say it out loud. Cause if Netflix valued it, valued it that more, they would put it in the prestige category that they would put it in the category as the Irishman or I'm thinking of ending things or to five bloods, stranger things. Um, stranger things is one of their only shows though. That is like well, holds its own in the pantheon of television. What's, what's the, um, what's the show it's on our list. Um, it's about, I, I is it a show or a movie where she comes home from, college or she comes home to her hometown and she starts dating the guy that she hooked up with in college because that one they pushed really hard always be my maybe oh is that a tv show that's a movie it's a movie okay so netflix treated that one from what i could tell like if i'd turn on netflix they'd be like you should watch this i saw it promoted everywhere yeah and so they're putting a lot of advertising behind it. Does that mean that they think that that is prestige? I think it doesn't like what what's weird is like, what reward do they get by promoting any of their shows specifically? I mean, they really just want you watching Netflix. They don't really I care know. what show you're watching. They, they just want you to subscribe because the whole th- thing is like the more people, the more people who watch it, Netflix doesn't make more money. No, they, they just like the filmmakers make a little bit more money but but we don't really know those numbers because uh they don't share it (laughs) well maybe that's it is that they're they don't have to pay that kind of residual fee to in-house productions so So they'll promote in-house productions more right so they're not going to promote hey we've got star trek watch star trek they're going to say hey we've got this movie that we made watch our movie do you think any filmmakers make like a back-end budget deal where they're like okay um if it gets a certain amount of views, then you owe me a certain like bonus. Um, I don't know about that. I think that's true for the films that and TV shows that they license. Mm. I don't think it's much. Okay. Um, but I do know with the prestige deals, they make really good offers to these filmmakers. I mean, Martin Scorsese got two hundred million dollars to make The Irishman, which is like Wait, he got. You mean he he was given the, that for his budget? He was able to make The Irishman for $200 million. Okay. That's like The Force Awakens money. That's Avengers Man. Endgame money. Yeah, and that's crazy because that, that makes me... That makes my enjoyment of that movie post-watching it uh, just a little less. Why? Because he was given... Like, this is a three-hour-long movie, and it's a good film. It's not Scorsese's best. 
it's a good film and it's like beautifully made and there's a lot of CG done to like people's faces to make them look young. And I know some of the money went there. Oh, most of the money went there. And that's why it's that much is that it's mostly for the CG budget. Okay. It's just, mm. I feel like you, you give Martin Scorsese $30 million in 1980. Mm-hmm. He's going to do more with that. Uh, you, you could say that. I think there is a value to Netflix just throwing cash at auteurs and just say, <laughs> hey, do whatever you want. I hope one day that that will be true for us. <laughs> well, sure. Um, and it's just kind of like, would Spike Lee been able to have made to five bloods anywhere, but Netflix, I haven't been able to catch it yet, but these filmmakers on the prestige level get to do whatever the hell they want. Yeah. But they have to be proven and come in. Right. They have to bring their name back. Right. You've got to be yeah. in the top 1% of auteurs. Whereas mm-hmm. these these rom-coms are in the inverse camp where it's like, we expect you to hit these numbers, hit your marks, and you've only got this much money. Go do it. So I, as a system, I know we're getting a little off topic here, but as a system, I think that really discourages the creation of new auteurs. Because well, you have these people who are getting paid because they're like, oh, finally, somebody hired me to direct something. I guess I'll work on Netflix. And they're not Netflix doesn't want auteurs. No, not, I know. They don't care. I know. But if that's where our industry is going, for the most part, is Netflix, Amazon, rather than in theater, mm-hmm. then they're, they're almost breeding out the possibility for auteurs. Yeah. I'm trying to think of when they supported more indie minded storytellers. I mean, without Netflix, you wouldn't have had stranger things, which isn't like, let's find the Martin Scorsese of television. It was almost like who knew that stranger things would become what it was. Exactly. But I I don't see them taking a lot of chances like that. Yeah. It's more luck that it turns into a bigger phenomenon that they ever expected. And I, I think the, And I think what I said then holds kind of true. You're going to like, we have all of these auteurs that came out of the seventies, eighties and nineties. Um, and to a much lesser extent, the early two thousands. Um, I, I have a feeling that that auteurs are like Netflix has this big chance to do weird things. Because they don't, they don't need to rely on seemingly. They don't need to rely on everything hitting in order to keep their numbers up. Yeah. So why not take more chances? Allow people to be a little bit more weird in themselves and artistically driven, and make more like because you're gonna have stuff like this all the time where it's just like, you know, it's paint by numbers and it's kind of fun, but it's not taking any chances, and that's fine because there's a huge audience for that. But why not also take more chances on other things? Well, in a certain sense. And build auteurs. Like, what if we had, like, in 10 years, we had this graduating class of Netflix auteurs? Yeah. But in a certain sense, they are taking risks on the masters of cinema because $200 million is a lot of money. I mean, I know they're taking. But if you're just giving money to. Like, let's let's look at this like politically almost. Um, let's say you're giving um, a bunch of money to a campaign for like a senator who has been a senator for 80 years. Yeah. 
<laughs> or something like no, that. It's, you're not you're not really enculturating like a a moving forward. So that means that in 2035 we're going to have like a desolate landscape. This this is always the problem. This was true in 1965. This is true. I know, which is why this feels like a transition time where something needs to break. No, it's always the same. <laughs> <laughs> no, like you're saying the mid 80s is the same as 1965. Well, like in the 60s, the average age of a film technician was in their 50s, mm -hmm. which here's the thing. They're really experienced filmmakers. So that makes sense. As, knowing I, I. Uh, work as a producer, an assistant director, and a director in town. There are a lot of people who have more experience and would do better jobs than me. Well, my point is, in 1967, you've got Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, Brian De Palma, Martin Scorsese, and Francis Ford Coppola. Francis Coppola. No, Francis Coppola is the exception. All the others are sitting there and thinking to themselves, "This is bullshit." that they can't get any of their films made and all the money is going towards some rehash of the sound of music that no one's going to go see. Yeah. And it took 10 years for them to get from their first couple of projects to actual dominance. Right. It took from basically 67 to 77 to actually get to that place where they were the new masters. Uh -huh. And so I don't know what's going to take to get this new round of masters. And I think you're right is Netflix is not interested in that new generation. Yeah, I know. And I just wish, I think I, I keep going into these films, like looking for just like a hint of that. Oh, I'm not. I know. And <laughs> I, and like I said, I'm changing my perspective on how I'm going to watch these films now because I'm not, I'm not going to go in with even the hope of being slightly surprised. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's sad that we're, it's like, well, if you want to have fun here, Lower your expectations. It really does make me not interested in watching the Netflix stuff that we're going to be watching. Yeah, but like John Turtletop, what's he done? Can't name a film. He's done While You Were Sleeping and a handful of other films. Mm -hmm. I still think there's a place in the sun for the John Turtletops of the world. No, I'm not saying that you need to be <laughs> uh, a... You don't need to be an auteur or like an Oscar winning filmmaker in order to work in the industry. Yeah. Like, and I think it keeps being proven by your enjoyment of like, cause when we watched, um, to all the boys I loved before you were kind of writing for it most of the time. Yeah. Until it gets to this point where it's like, I have, it's like clean all this sand in my hand and just keeps falling through my fingers. I'm like, I'm trying guys, but I, I'm sorry. Yeah. And I, I, I'm really interested to like you and I have made a very small project out of trying to find the quality and the consistency and the tropes of this, this film genre, mm -hmm. like what's advancing it forward and what's holding it back. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, I think this movie did, neither of those things because the places that pushed it forward were held back by the normalcy of it. Yeah. Like, and like, you know, it just kind of met in the middle. These are concerns that studios there's not even in their consciousness when they're all they're concerned about is do we have the prestige and do we have the rest of our product? Mm -hmm. And I, I think this kind of conversation is like, why are you guys worried about this? Yeah, I know. And I, 
And that's that's I, I'm the worried about it because like I so I pitched to I sent something to Impact Entertainment, hoping that it would basically what what happens is like um, if this got picked up, it would be made by Netflix and you would be one of like the the writers slash showrunners on it. Yeah, and I was thinking about that because I didn't I didn't get in on that round. I was thinking about like when I when I submitted, I was like, what would it be like to actually work as a creative? not as a as an employee tech person what would it be like to work as a creative for Netflix with that kind of top down like puppet string above you uh-huh. and it seems severely like an opportunity like a challenge or a or very oppressive Like in the same way where like I imagine like Colin Trevorrow made Jurassic World, right? Yeah. It didn't feel like he directed that movie. It felt like a whole bunch of people told him what to do in that movie. Yeah, that's pretty much what's happening is that Dean Devlin, um, who's shot a bunch of shows in Portland, Mm -hmm. he directed that movie Geostorm. (laughs) And the reason why you scoff at such a film is that. No, did you see it? No, I did. But that's not the movie (laughs) Dean Devlin wanted to make is that. He had an idea that it was going to be something more akin in terms of quality to an independent state mm-hmm. that it would be actually interesting. But I, I've heard s- secondhand that there was just a committee that came to set every day and just kept changing everything. Like, and Dean said it was like the worst experience of his life. And and this is this is what happens not only in the, the feature film world, but the commercial world, because I've worked a lot in like Nike Adidas realm. And when you're a producer or a director, there's always client in the background. And yeah. client is basically the... Client is God. The client is God. And in the same way where in a narrative film, your producers from the studio are God. Yeah. And you're just getting like... It's almost like if you if you have like a mosquito buzzing in your ear, you, you know it's there. You don't want to swat it right now because you're busy like doing something important. But you're just like... I know it's going to buzz. Dang it. It buzzed in my ear. And you're like, this is very distracting. It's really, you're telling me that I need to shoot the logo with a little bit softer focus and be a little further away, but you don't realize how much time that's going to take away from me actually doing what I'm trying to do right now. And yeah, it's like when studios notes come in and it's like, can this character be here? And And the writer has to explain, well, in the world of physics, a character can't be in two places at the same time. Yeah. Or like, you're like, well, in this previous scene, we set up this. And so logically that character can't say, I hate this person because it just wouldn't like, we've already shot the scene. They're like, well, can you maybe go back and reshoot it? And it's like, well, we would have to travel to Thailand and we already shot all of Thailand. And they're like, "Mm, just get a blue screen. (laughs) Yeah. But, and then that's what ruins movies. But I, I want to comfort you and say that, Everyone deals with that and it'll always be persistent. And Netflix is just the new flavor. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And we can stop talking about this now because this has been like the, probably the largest derail that we've ever done to an episode. That's okay. Do you want to talk about personal finance? <laughs> no, uh, I, I want to talk about who or what, <laughs> who, a what I'd just say, I want to talk about, what your rom-com Oscar is? That's dumb. <laughs> uh, my rom-com Oscar. 
Oh, I feel like I had it last night and I lost it. Well, you oh. can't steal mine. Oh, oh. Um, rookie of the year to Zoe Dutch. Because I feel like... This wasn't her first film. No. But I feel like this felt like a stab in the right direction of, I hope you continue on this path that you started on. It's not something that's meteoric the way that it is for Ellen Page or Jennifer Lawrence. Mm -hmm. But it's just like, I will, if you show up in another movie as the lead, I will definitely give it a shot because of what I just saw. So maybe rather than a rookie of the year award, can you give her um, like best confidence instilled or something <laughs> like that? Because it sounds like what you're pithier. It sounds like what you're saying is that she is slowly becoming one of your safe actors where you see her as somebody who who solid, not safe. Right. OK, so she's not like somebody who's going to make a movie good for you, but you can trust her. Yeah, that. That if she is in a movie, at least you'll enjoy her. Yeah, it's there's um, less risk going into the film. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think you can you can maybe call her best crampon. Uh, what? <laughs> like if you're mountain climbing, you're at least you're like, I'm, I'm attaching myself to you for your next project. Is that a it's a crampon? I think so. OK. Or like carabiner, maybe. She, yeah, she's my carabiner. Okay, so Zoe Dutch wins your best carabiner award. Yeah. Okay. Um, for me, I'm giving it to um, best drunk acting. Okay. And that's also going to Zoe Dutch because you just killed it. Like her looking off to the side and then her like smiling and then her getting like glazed eyes, being in love with pizza and then like making the decision like I'm drunk. I know I'm drunk. I have to leave. Like all of those, all the work that she was doing in that scene was just playful to the point of i'm like zoe dutch you've been here in real life yeah not only that but you can remember that and bring it to this performance yeah and i loved it yeah um and i don't even have to ask but who would you fall in love with zoe dutch i'm gonna like zoe dutch is you know i'm gonna say zoe dutch i really wanted to say her her friend her roommate her friend was so much better than other stock roommates in these movies yeah like like compare the blonde friend because again we don't have a blonde as a lead. Whoa. I know. They're, but the blonde friend is almost becoming a trope um, in To All the Boys I Love Before, right? Ugh. Which, like, she's still kind of more interesting, but she feels so, like, stock. Like, there's something about, like, the like her dialogue that they gave her that just feels stock. And yeah. then this character just, this actor brought life to that role. Yeah. yeah. And that was fun for me. But and I'm going to say Zoe Dutch, too, just because she's bouncy and and like full of energy and she wants to be a writer and she's funny and she it doesn't stand on ceremony. Yeah. And she's interested in old people, which is fun and weird. I like her. They don't really. And she's honorable. Yeah. They don't really capitalize fully on the old person thing. They kind of do. Yeah. Like there's only that one scene at the, the baseball stadium, but it would have been funnier if like, like at one point in time, she's like, Oh, no, I got to get to the retirement home because I'm interviewing some people and they're going to fall asleep by like eight. So I yeah. got to get there now. <laughs> if it was a bigger studio film, that's one of the things that they would have like enforced. It's mm -hmm. like we need more old people. Which is why this movie is good, not great. Yeah. Uh, but I want to say the final word for me is this before with Twelve the Boys I Love Before, my 
like perspective on Netflix films are like, I don't know if they're worth your time. Now, my, now that I watch this, I'm like, there you go. You can do this. So maybe this is uh, we're just taking steps up a staircase. Yeah, because I I would really like if we started at to all the boys I loved before. We're given a little bit more confidence with set it up. Yeah. And then something else knocks it out of the park. I I don't. Well, but I, I'm not expecting it, though. I'm just saying, like, maybe that's a trajectory. Knocks it out of the park the way Notting Hill knocks it out of the park or yeah, knocks I it mean, out of the park for a Netflix film. Because that curve is just there. I mean, it's, because it's there so far. This is the optimist in me, like, <laughs> just holding on for hope that that somebody can make something for Netflix that is always going to be on Netflix that I'm always going to want to go back to. You know what would be nice is if Netflix invested in rom-com auteurs, in another Richard Curtis film, in a um, yeah, but if a Nancy like, Myers film, is this true that that rom-com auteurs, like once they reach a certain age, just can't do it anymore? Like this is ageist like, completely. What I'm saying, like they can't get it up, <laughs> they can't set it up anymore. <laughs> Um, no, I'm, I'm just thinking of our recent, recent, um, trip down Valentine's day road. Well, um, right. Which is you can, like you can get, skid row. More yeah. so. <laughs> Richard Curtis isn't really making rom-coms anymore, but his films are more nuanced, like about time made in mm. like 2012, mm. not a rom-com like four weddings or Notting Hill, but romantic, it- funny. And very insightful. And like still same same time period, Nancy Myers produced and maybe wrote um The Family Stone. Uh I know it wasn't directed by her. I'm not sure, but Nancy Myers, her last rom com was The Intern. Yeah. And it just wasn't her best. It was fine. It just Which is fine. You know, we don't need them all to be hits, but it would be interesting if they invested in people who were it's just the the people they'd be investing in that are young, like not not young, but who like started making rom-coms in the early 2000s. Like there are no auteurs from that point in time in our genre, really, except for Richard Curtis and Nora Ephron. But at, at that point, we we have Nora Ephron is gone and Richard Curtis is old. old <laughs> Sorry, Richard with Nancy Curtis. Myers. No, um, I mean, he's. He's clearly still wanting to do interesting things. He did that Beatles movie yesterday. Um, I oh, think yeah. I think the future is in people like Greta Gerwig, who her last project was Little Women, which you said maybe doesn't work, but is worth watching. No, it works. It's it, here. I'm, I'm not going to say it doesn't work. It works as a film. And a lot of people love that movie. It's just um, We'll just watch it and we'll talk about it then. Okay. But um, but I think I think that's what Netflix should be doing is investing in Greta Gerwig. The Family Stone was in 2005 and Nancy Meyer had nothing to do with it. Okay. So <clears throat> that was Michael London. But they're, they're there. Like Greta Gerwig's there. I mean, Lady Bird exists. And so I think A24 is more the studio that's investing in young auteurs. A Greta Gerwig film, though, is not... It's not a romantic comedy in any sense of fluffiness. Like where where Notting Hill is is like this unique blend of depth and fun. I think Greta Gerwig is much more about the depth and drama. Mm-hmm. And then like there's a little fun tacked on. Yeah. 
and that just makes her a different filmmaker, yeah, not, a, not a worse filmmaker by any means. So if Netflix threw their prestige money at a rom-com filmmaker, it's almost like a paradox, right? Yeah, because I mean, well, at least with the intent that we've seen so far, they have this intent behind their rom-coms. If they if they like gave money to Greta Gerwig to make a rom-com, I don't think they'd get what they were expecting. I think you would get Which it. Which is with, the fun thing. I want to see that yeah. movie. I think you would get it with Nancy Myers. I think the intern was a letdown, but not indicative of her overall quality. It was just kind of a slight miss. A movie like Something's Gotta Give is both fluffy and thoughtful. And I think that's what a prestige Netflix rom-com would be. And I feel like if I had to if I was a betting man, I would put my money on Nancy Myers. But again, that's not investing in new talent. That's investing in an old mm-hmm experienced reliable filmmaker yes bing future ryan here uh something pretty cool actually since uh we just recorded this episode a couple weeks ago uh as of now you can actually watch a new nancy myers netflix project it's father of the bride part three ish and it's on their youtube channel i don't think it's on netflix's streaming service but you can watch it on their youtube uh, channel and it is a zoom film short film of the banks family and it's delightful if you're a big fan of the father of the bride cinematic universe like i am you should definitely definitely check it out so uh look at that netflix is investing in nancy myers so good for them anyways back to the show bing yes so we'll see your move netflix (laughs) Yeah. Netflix executive who's listening to this, your move. Do you want to hire some old, broken down, very successful filmmaker? Or do you want to hire somebody like us? We'll give you something that your producers will hate. (laughs) You have 24 hours. The clock has started. 24 hours to what? That's just, that's what they say. 24 hours. Great. Well, what are we watching next week? Let's take a look. Okay. If it's a Netflix movie, we're drinking. Oh, I was drinking last night. Yeah, I meant during the podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> Give me a number. Um, <laughs> I'm a seventh grader. 69. 69. Oh, we are going into some interesting territory. We'll be, we will be doing Kevin Smith's Chasing Amy. Oh, cool. I've never seen Chasing Amy. Oh, great. Have you seen other Kevin Smith movies? Yeah, I've seen Clerks. I've seen um, uh, what's what's the one uh, Dogma. Dogma. Have mm-hmm. you seen Mallrats? No. OK. Yeah. Chasing Amy. I it's weird. I've seen all of Kevin Smith's movies. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, with that, I guess we'll wrap it up. Um, I've been Kelly McCrillis and you've been pleasantly surprised by a, a Netflix movie. Yeah, I've been not Ryan Reynolds. Uh, yeah, this is Ryan Graves, not to be confused. And uh, you can find us at romcomgents at Gmail or Facebook or Instagram, any of those places. Uh, but I'm excited for next week where we'll be watching a movie like um, what happens in that movie? Well, it's about Ben Affleck falling in love with a lesbian. Oh, okay. Well, join us next week where um, Ben Affleck falls in love with a lesbian. Cool. Well, I love you. I love you too. Bye. And this is where we will say goodbye.